Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to learn about commercial property investing and join our real estate family. We get the best people in the industry to give you straightforward and practical advice that you can actually use in your investing. And in today's episode, we are chatting about short-term rentals. We rarely talk about residential investing in this podcast, but once or twice a year, I make an exception for specific topics that might be very valuable to you guys. And short-term rentals is definitely one of them. I have vetted this asset class myself. And in today's episode, we are chatting with a great friend of mine, Tim Hubbard. He has been investing in real estate for a decade and specifically in short-term rentals for the last six years. So he has done thousands of bookings and we are going to learn a lot from him today. Here we go. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to have you. You are an expert in this topic. And uh, why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about you, please? Yeah, thanks for having me, Stephanie. Glad to be here. I've been investing in real estate for over a decade, but I started focusing on short-term rentals like six years ago, I guess, and kind of haven't looked back. It was mainly just because the revenues have been, you know, three, five, sometimes higher than that than what I was getting with long-term rentals. So kind of just been focusing on finding properties that fit that model. I'm from California originally. Uh, I left there... I guess six years ago, maybe. Uh, and I do a lot of my investing in Tennessee, some in Oklahoma. And then a few years ago, I moved out of the US. So I'm down in Columbia right now and I've been spending several years down here. So, And we met, I think, over two years, two or three years ago. And I've seen you just expand your short-term rental portfolio and be super successful at it in the you know when i met you i'm like oh gosh short-term rentals that sounds like so much work (laughs) but now i think there's a lot of interest out there just because the numbers make a lot of sense as you were saying so why don't we jump into what are some of the benefits of investing in short-term rentals Yeah, well, there's quite a lot. And there's actually some that have like popped up that I just realized recently, like eviction moratoriums, for example, like that was never a thing with short term rentals, because if someone is staying in our properties less than 30 days, normally they don't have any landlord rights. So we actually had quite a lot of flexibility there. And then also, you know, kind of along like these inflation lines, all the money that we printed to help the economy with everything that's been going on, we've had a lot of inflation. So that's one of the reasons that rents are going up. Uh, And with short term rentals, we can change our rents every day. So, you know, uh, we don't have like, we don't get locked into a year lease and are under rent our properties, we can use tools and there's tools to do all this. So we we can set up a tool that'll change our pricing every day. But I guess the, the biggest reason that or advantage that I've got into short-term rentals is that literally like, you know, some of my properties are making like five, eight times the amount of rent I was making with a traditional long-term rental, like single family home. So, you know, back in the day, if I was looking at it and saying, okay, you know, I, I want X amount of dollars a month to become financially free. 
uh, I could through properties, I could literally divide that number by five times. And that's the amount of short-term rentals that I need to accomplish the same amount of money. So, I mean, that's, uh, that was kind of, the, that was the main reason, the biggest advantage, I guess, coming down to the income. And that has been consistent over the last six years, every single year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so COVID was interesting. You know, I have properties in three cities and properties that have been short terminals for a long time and some that are just new. And so it was different during COVID because we had less travel and my properties that I had around for a long time, they did, they still did really well, much better than long-term rentals. Uh, but some of the newer properties were a little more vacant, but still also better than long-term rentals. So mm. yeah, I would say they have been very consistent and I'm super bullish on the future because just the way people are living has changed. More people are working remotely now than ever before. And even if a lot of them go back to the offices, there's still going to be way more people working remotely than there was prior to COVID. Uh, and so we have people staying in our short-term rentals for longer periods too, you know, uh, before when they booked a vacation for a weekend, maybe they had to go back to the office on Monday, but now people can work from wherever they are. So they don't have to go back to an office and they can stay in a short-term rental for a few weeks or a month, or they can go to another state that maybe they're interested in moving to and just live there temporarily. So I think it's just a trend, like the way that we're living And a lot of, you know, venture capitalists and people are starting to recognize this also. So we're starting to see people, uh, big venture capitalist firms enter the space. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm really bullish on it. It's been consistent and I think that it will be going forward too. Agree. You know, that's one of the things that I think about all the time. I would love to spend a month somewhere and just mm -hmm. get to know that city. And obviously we would do that through a short-term rental. How do you choose a market within this asset class? I pretty much choose the market uh, as I always have chosen markets. I mean, based on the fundamentals, you know, a place where people are moving to and not moving away from um, where the employment is diverse and there's not just one industry. Uh, where it's landlord friendly. And that's a big thing because there, because aside from all the traditional fundamentals we look for, for a good real estate market, we have to take it a little further if we're looking on fi finding properties as short-term rentals. And the big one is regulations. But before that, yeah, I guess I'm looking for places that just has good fundamentals um, where people are moving, population growth, um, You know, a lot of like the Sun Belt areas in the U.S. Are, have been growing a lot. So I think those are good areas. But then the landlord friendly one is a big one. And I found that there's a pretty good like correlation between landlord friendly cities or states and short term rental regulations. You know, if, if the city is very landlord friendly, then it's probably a little more likely that they're going to be more friendly towards your short term rentals as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm pretty much looking for, because when I'm buying my short-term rentals, they're actually long-term rentals to begin with. So I'm buying properties that make sense as long-term rentals. Most all the time, they're already occupied and they already have long-term tenants. I'm just looking for properties that would work well if I converted it to a short-term rental. That way, I always have that backup plan. If something does change, I can go back and rent it as a long-term rental. 
But if not, I can put some furniture in there, throw it online and potentially make three, five or more <laughs> times what the long-term run is. So you don't necessarily look for hot vacation spots because they might not be great fallback plans, right? If something does change, is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And that's not to say that vacation rentals yeah. in these hot areas can't do extremely well because they definitely can. Um, I guess I'm just a little more comfortable knowing that it's always going to be a good rental no matter whether it's got a short-term guest in there or a long-term. No, I think But that's yeah. a very wise, very wise way of approaching it. I can think of a billion things that are so scary about short-term rentals and managing these properties and dealing with these volume of people. But let's mm -hmm. hear from you. What are some of the scariest things about short-term rentals? Yeah, so we've had a lot of reservations. I actually just calculated this the other day uh, with some of my receptionists, but we've had almost 9,000 reservations, wow. like over, over 16,000 guests. So anything that you could imagine, I mean, we've probably come across it, but I would say for someone that's just getting started with short-term rentals, the scariest thing is like, oh man, someone's going to trash my house and have a party. And that's possible that could happen, but there's lots of ways to prevent that. Uh, and COVID really disrupted the travel industry. It, you know, we used to not rent to locals, for example, because we found that a lot of locals would rent a place and they'd, they'd throw parties. So mm -hmm. when COVID happened, we were only renting to locals, really. And so we, we really had to add in some extra measures to make sure that we weren't renting our properties to people that are going to have parties. And so there's lots of tools now. So there's uh, noise sensors, for example, that can notify you automatically if the noise goes above a certain level. Of course, you can put cameras, security cameras on the exterior so you can monitor how many people are going into your property. We have all of our rules and regulations before someone makes a reservation. You can hold deposits. So there's lots of ways to combat all these things. But I think that's probably one of the scariest things for someone that's new to short-term rentals, but there's lots of ways to, to uh, prevent that. I guess maybe another thing that might be scary is sort of, you know, when you first start, if you're taking a long-term rental, for example, you're going to turn into a short-term one. It's like, how good is this actually going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, so forecasting occupancy and stuff like that. Oh no, you know, what if I put all this furniture in there and it's vacant all year? So that, that can be scary as well because it can be a big investment to put all the furniture in there and, and all that. But there's lots of ways to forecast that now too. So we've got websites like airdna.co that provide a lot of good data on down to the zip code. I, it's so much easier than it was like six years ago when I started to be comfortable with short-term rentals. You know, because we have so much data. There's so many, so many more tools that allow us to manage the whole process and there will continue to be more. So I would say probably, yeah, the biggest or the scariest things for, for someone getting into it is, you know, what if someone has a party and what if my property doesn't make the amount of money I think it's going to. Yeah, I completely can see that. And I also agree on, you know, the ability for us to remedy all of these things 
it's funny, I just uh, did an episode on how do I manage my properties remotely last week. And uh, just curious yeah. about how do you do that with so many properties, so many moving parts, so many people in and out, so many things that can mm -hmm. go wrong. So how, how do you do it? Well, I didn't figure it out one day, <laughs> but um, uh, it all comes down to systems, right? It's similar to how someone can manage a thousand single family homes, you know, as traditional rentals with software and a good team. And yeah, there's so many tools now. So the short term rentals, we can automate almost everything. Like I would say probably now 75 or 80 percent or more of our reservations are instantly booked, which means they're not messaging us to to uh, ask us. Oh, this is the other stat that I just calculated the other day. I was trying to figure out the uh, average amount of messages that we send to a guest. We send about 16 on average per guest. Wow, um, that's a lot. And, well, half of those are automated. Okay. So, which means we're sending about eight responses, essentially. We always kind of want to have the last message. But yeah, half of those are automated. So most people aren't asking a lot of questions and we can answer almost all of them like before someone even checks in with a guidebook or just providing them all, all the info. Um, but let's see. So managing remotely, I guess I was kind of going off on a tangent there. Uh, the auto, it just comes down to the automation. So we use property management software like you would with long-term rentals. That'll, that monitors all those messages. It sends out all those automatic messages. We have automatic door codes that are created. We have a digital guidebook that goes out automatically and can you can really break down your property. It's really the, the more info you give your guests, the easier it's gonna be and you can automate all that, so. The, the beauty of technology helping all of us investors. Yeah, yeah for sure. So let's jump into what were, let's say, your top three biggest lessons learned over the last six years. Well, I'd say budgeting has always been um, a challenging one. And that's, I guess, not specifically to short-term rentals. Uh, since a lot of these properties aren't short-term rentals when I get them, but there's still the budgeting thing. You know, it's pretty easy to figure out furniture costs stuff like that. But in, when it comes to renovations, a lot of my properties are old historic properties or over mm. like a hundred years old. And there's just a lot of unknowns with those. So I guess when I was getting into those, probably um, budgeting a little better. Let's see, I guess another one would be to trust these, trust these numbers. You know, when I was first getting started, I, maybe there were some opportunities that I passed on because I was nervous about the occupancy and stuff like that. But I think the demand's only growing and getting and getting. There's more and more demand than there's ever been. So I would I would trust the numbers that we can see around our properties. And there's lots of stats and info available. A third one, something I wish I knew is that yeah, you can manage these from wherever. You know. I, I left the U.S. several years ago, and and I would almost say that it's made my business better, hmm. if that just sounds crazy, because I've had to figure out these systems. Yeah. I can't 
I'm not there to do, to do anything. So it's made me focus on the things that are most important uh, and figure them out and come up, come up with systems. And the cool thing is like when we come up with these new systems or new tools or anything that we're implementing, it's better for the guests most times too. You know what I mean? It's like things are more transparent. They happen quicker. So I guess, yeah, to combine this third one, it'd say it almost get, it gets easier the more you do it. So the first one you do is going to be, it's going to be the toughest and then it's only going to get easier. I would say. I'm sure just like anything else, right? From these answers, what I'm curious is how do you budget for, let's say, a one bedroom or, and also, let's say, a three bedroom? And mm-hmm. also along those lines, how do you have, how do you furnish it from, from Colombia? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the numbers, I, I mean, you could, furnishing numbers could range really you know, there, there could be a huge range. There's very expensive. You could spend as much furnishing a studio apartment or I could furnish a whole apartment for the same price as someone pays for a couch. You know what I mean? Sure. So there's a huge range. But I would say on average, the, the properties that I'm furnishing, which aren't super luxurious, they're very nice. But a studio is usually around like 4,500 bucks for me. A studio or one bedroom depends on the size. And I, I'm actually, I focus on the smaller units now. Mm. A two bedroom, you know, I'd say around 6,000. And then for each additional bedroom, maybe you can add another thousand or 1,500 bucks if you're, if you're trying to budget. So how do you furnish remotely? You can order everything online these days, right? So uh, order on Amazon and Wayfair and Ikea and a lot of different places that can ship directly to a property or ship directly to you know, maybe a housekeeper or a manager or a maintenance person or someone that you work with and they can help you with that. I I like to do floor plans. So some properties I recently closed on, I have measurements of the, the rooms. And so I just create a floor plan with where I want the furniture to go. And then we order it all and then everyone's kind of on the same page. So that's, one way to do it. You know, you can always just hire like a interior designer or something like that too, to help you if you're doing it remotely. Yeah. And I know that there are a billion other things we could be talking about. There are so many nuisances to short-term rentals, but this is a great start for people to understand what's possible out there. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, so I actually have a, I have a podcast as well. Uh, it's called Short Term Rental Riches, and it's on iTunes and and all the different outlets. Uh, and then I have a website restmethods.com, which is r e s t methods.com, and we've got a bunch of resources on there specifically for short term rentals. And I've been teaching on the subject for a couple of years now, so they can get a lot of good information by checking out those places. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for making the time to join us today and share a lot of your knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. If you are learning from our podcast, I would greatly appreciate a review on the podcast app that you listen to. And I will see you next time.